As we prepare to hear the good news of Jesus Christ from the Gospel of Luke, let's again go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that in Jesus Christ you came to us. And we are grateful that you continue to speak to us through your word. Lord, today we ask that you open our minds and open our hearts. Help us to hear your word today. We pray that you work through the Holy Spirit to assure us of your presence and your care for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the last few weeks here as a church, we've been working through the first chapter of the uh, first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and today we come to the second chapter, to the classic version of the Christmas story. So we're going to be reading from Luke two, verses one to twenty. You're invited to uh, grab a Bible in the bench and read along if you like. Otherwise, the words will be on the screens. But hear now the word of the Lord, Luke two, one to twenty. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid.' I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're going to work through this text with with two realities that we see about Jesus, two, two ways to see Jesus, and then three ways to respond to Jesus, three ways to serve Jesus. So two ways to see Jesus, three ways to respond to Jesus. And the first reality that we're going to talk about with Jesus is that Jesus corrects the earthly powers. Jesus corrects the earthly powers. Luke is very, very intentional here that he wants us to see two powers, two sources of authority, two kings here in the second chapter of his gospel. And the first one that everyone at that time would have recognized was Caesar Augustus. And Caesar, well, he was the emperor of Rome. 
And he was the great power in the world, and, and he knew it. He brags, I, I came to Rome and found it made of brick. I left it made of marble, from utilitarian to magnificent. And he was the first of the Roman emperors to really, really push that, yes, emperor worship should be a thing. He was the first of the emperors to say to everyone, yes, worship me like a god, because I'm a god. This is Caesar Augustus. And he fights, and he fights, and he fights, and he expands his empire, and, and he brings about this peace, this Pax Romana, this Roman peace, but it is a peace built on oppression and bloodshed. Caesar Augustus will shed your blood for his good. And that is one king. And then the other king that Luke shows us is, is this king, this baby Jesus, who is, who is born of poor, displaced parents. No room for them even in the guest room. So, so they're staying, staying in the garage or staying in the unfinished basement, so to speak. And he is born and placed in a manger, placed in the feeding trough for animals. But when the angels come, the angels announce the coming of King Jesus, and, and they announce him with all these titles that Caesar himself had claimed. Caesar Augustus claimed to be God and the Son of God. He claimed to be a true Savior of all the peoples of the world. He claimed to bring peace. He claimed that his coming was good news. And Luke intentionally takes all those titles, and he remarks on how the angels apply them to this baby born in the manger. And the point that Luke is making, if you, if you read through his gospel, is that this baby born on Christmas, he is greater even than Caesar Augustus. He comes to a broken world and makes it right. Jesus provides a real peace, and Jesus provides a peace not through the shedding of others' blood, but through the laying down of his own life and the shedding of his blood. Luke wants us to see two types of rulers, one, one a ruler coming with earthly glory and power and and shedding your blood for his good. And another ruler coming in humility and yet in greater power somehow and shedding his blood for your good. Luke wants us to see this contrast. And he, he works it out in, in particular ways. And we'll, we'll remark on just one of those this morning. Several times early on in Luke that we read, it talks about the census where it talks about Joseph and Mary going to register, census, census, register, register. In Greek, those are all the same word. And the idea that Luke wants us to get is that, is that Caesar is moving people around like pawns on a chessboard. Yes, I will send an army there and we will win. And yes, I will move the people around here and there to make sure that I, that I maximize my tax revenue so I can build greater public projects and bring yet glory, greater glory to my name. This is what Caesar thinks he is doing. But in fact, in this text, what happens is that Joseph and Mary, Mary who is pregnant with the Son of God, with, with the Lord of the universe, Mary who is pregnant with this child predicted to be born in Bethlehem, what Caesar accomplishes is moving Joseph and Mary and Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem where God planned for him to be born all along. Caesar thinks he is doing these great things. He thinks he's in control and, and he's running the chess game. But in fact, he is not. The Lord is the one making and working out his plans, and Caesar doesn't even know the game he's playing. 
Now, we play a fair amount of chess in my house, and my youngest son, Ezra, has developed this game that he and I play sometimes, and sometimes we play regular chess, and I'll give you a little bit of the sense of chess. Chess, there are different pieces. Some of you are going to think this is redundant, but there are different pieces. Each of them has specific moves they can make. A pawn can move one space. Bishops can move diagonally as many as they want. Kings can move one space. There's different rules for every piece, but queens are the most powerful piece you have, and they can move as far as they want any direction on the board. Well, Ezra came up with this great idea, and one day he said, Dad, let's play that all my pieces can move like queens, and all your pieces do the usual thing. And I said, okay. So every now and then we play this game of chess where Ezra has all queens, and all I have are, are pawns that can move one, and I have all these rules and restrictions, and, and you can probably guess who wins 99.9% .9 of the time, right? We're not even playing the same game. Well, here, Caesar thinks that he's in control, and he's powerful, and, and he's moving the pieces around on the chessboard, but in fact, he can do nothing. He will never win. He is, well, he is in the end nothing but a pawn in the hands of the Lord. Even at his most powerful, this earthly ruler, who is the most powerful man in the world at this point, even at his most powerful, he is like nothing before this baby in a manger. And so here we are today, 2,000-odd years later, and, and there are all kinds of powers in the world. There are economic powers, and there are social powers, and there are cultural powers, and there are political powers, and there are religious powers, and, and they would all say that they are great powers and that we should listen to them, and, and they think they are playing the game the way they want to play it. But in fact, in fact, there is no one who is playing the same game that the Lord God is playing, and the Lord God always wins. So don't trust other powers. Don't put your hope in princes or politicians. Don't put your hope in what you can do or what any other human being can do. Put your hope in the true king, in the Lord Jesus who comes not for his own sake, but for our sake. He redefines what power means, and he shows us that the Lord is working out his plan for our good. The first reality of this text is that Jesus is the true king, and he is a great king who loves us. And the second reality, the second thing we're to see here is that Jesus connects us to God. Jesus is the bridge between us and the Lord. Now, we in our cultural moment, we struggle with this a little bit because, because we want to say everyone's equal and everyone can come to everyone else, and, and we're on the same playing field. And we are, as human beings, in many respects, all on the same playing field, but we are all like nothing before the Lord God. Here in Luke 2, we see this group of angels come, and they are bright and glorious and majestic, almost beyond belief. And what's the first thing they have to say? What's the first thing an angel says pretty much every time they appear to a human being in the Bible? Don't be afraid, because the angels are fearsome and terrifying, and they are just messengers of God. Imagine what it would be like to actually be in the presence of the king of the universe we would be burned up. And then there are these shepherds in this story, and they are, they are lowly people. They are people a lot like us. They have their bad moments. They have their good moments. Some people like them. Some people don't like them so much. They have a job to do. They do it. But they live very average, ordinary, earthly lives. And one of the great tensions of the Bible up to this point is, is how this great, glorious God who, who has this burning holiness to Him, how we 
earthy, regular, everyday people can be in his presence. And we have no resolution for that coming from our end. There is nothing we can do to get closer to God. But here in Jesus Christ, we see God coming to us and resolving that distance. Imagine, if you will, trying to have a relationship with a colony of ants. And how are you going to connect with ants? I mean, you can put food out for them and, and bless them that way. You can squish them or pour boiling water down their ant hill and, and punish them or persecute them that way. Sure, you can do some things, but what kind of relationship can you really have with them? And what kind of relationship can they possibly have with you? I mean, what are they going to do, walk up to you and start talking? No. Well, the distance between us and ants is like nothing compared to the distance between us and God. There is nothing we can do to bridge that gap, but here, here in Luke chapter 2, we see Jesus bridge that gap and come to us. In the baby Jesus, we see the burning holiness and the great power of the Lord, and we see that not coming to destroy us, but coming to be with us. Verse 11 here in Luke chapter 2 is an explosive statement. The angels declare, to you a Savior has been born. A human being has come, and this human being is your Savior, yes, and He is Christ the Lord. And up to this point in the Bible, that has never been said. Because what was just said there changes everything. What was just said there is there is a human being who is also God. The Lord of the universe, the one in whose presence none of us can stand, He now lies before you in this manger. And that, brothers and sisters, that changes everything. The reality of Christmas is that God has come to us, and God has come to you. And maybe you feel a distance between yourself and the Lord. Maybe you don't, but maybe you do. And maybe you're here today, but you wonder, is all of this really true? Or maybe you're here today and you say, my life is hard, and why does God allow all this suffering? Or maybe you're here today and, and there are just other things that you don't want to give up to draw closer to the Lord. Well, God has come to you. This very day, Jesus comes to you as a child born to save you. And there is nothing you will ever find that is more true or more real or more worthwhile. Jesus comes to connect us to God. So two ways to see Jesus. Jesus is, is a true king. He is a great and different kind of power. And Jesus comes to bring us to the Lord. And then Luke invites us to three responses. And the first response is to spread the word. In Luke 2, 15, the shepherds are, are so excited by what they've heard that they say, let's go see. And it seems like they just leave their sheep and they run off because they have to see this baby, this baby who is God come in the flesh. And they go and they see him and they tell Joseph and Mary what they've heard and then they go on their way and everyone they see, they stop and they say, look here, this is amazing. My life is different. They spread the word. And here today we are still spreading the word when we gather on Christmas day, when we gather every week and we say, Jesus Christ is Lord and he has come to us. And so I invite you today to be part of this to receive this word, and, and even if the Lord opens up opportunities today or this week to turn around and to tell people, look and see, Jesus has come. Everything is different. Spread the word. And then we are, we are shown the response of treasuring the word. 
treasuring the word. We are told that Mary ponders all these things in her heart and, and treasures them. Now, especially in this season leading up to Christmas when we are all frenetically busy, how much pondering have you done of anything? How much have you treasured anything in your heart and, and really dug more deeply into it? I would guess for most of us, this is not a season where we really ponder, where we really treasure what is most important. And so even on this day where we gather, you probably still have a to-do list a thousand miles long, and you're, you're running here and you're running there, but I invite you in the days ahead to really store these things up in your heart and really treasure them. We live in a day where we are becoming shallower and shallower people. We are spread between this and that, and we dash here and we dash there, and there is always more that is calling us, and, and we are spread thinner and thinner and thinner. And do you ever feel like there's nothing really to your life besides the next errand to run? Do you ever feel like you're growing shallower and shallower and, and life just doesn't have the depth that you want? Well, the only way to fill up the emptiness in your life truly is to be filled by Jesus. So as we hear of Jesus come to save us, we are invited to become deeper people by bringing Him into our heart, by reading the Bible, by listening to the Lord, and by treasuring what He has to say to us. Treasure Jesus. He is the greatest gift ever given. And then one final response that we are invited to by this text is to glorify the Word, to glorify the Word of God. At the end of this text, the shepherds go on their way, and, and the key thing that's said about them is that they return. They return to their flocks. They get on with life. But it also says as they go, they go glorifying and praising the Lord. They return to regular life, but they return changed and transformed. And you know, we today are going to go on with regular life. We'll have our Christmas. We, we might have a week or two off, but but a while from now, all of us will be back to our regular routines, back to the regular grind, back to the regular stuff. We will go back to that. But today, today can be a moment that changes everything. Today can be a moment where you go, maybe not completely transformed, but maybe where you go out just a little bit different, where you go out a little bit more focused on the Lord, a little bit more able to glorify and to praise Him. Don't go on with life like you have before. Now, you may be someone who's been a Christian for decades and decades, and, and this is just another ripple in the waves of God's grace. Or you may be at a point in your life where it really is time to, to step in, to, to go deeper, to really accept this gift of God given to us in Jesus Christ. But I invite and I urge you today, don't return to regular life the same. See Jesus. Maybe really see Him for the first time. Maybe see Him again after, after a time of busyness, but, but see Jesus. Treasure this, this gift of, of the Lord of the universe. Come to give His life for you. That is what we celebrate today. Jesus Christ, come to us. God with us. And so we proclaim glory to God in the highest and peace to all of God's people. Let's pray.
Father, we are grateful that today we get to gather and celebrate Christmas. And we pray that you help all of us to celebrate Christmas well, to, to enjoy time with family or friends, to really have a good day or even a good season of celebrating. But Lord, we ask that you help us to go, to go deeper, to truly see Jesus, to treasure Him more deeply, and to have our lives move closer and closer to being completely in tune with You and to be lived completely to Your glory and Your praise. Father, You know each one of us. You know where we are. You know what we need. We pray that You provide for our deepest needs through Jesus Christ. And we do want to glorify and praise you today. Amen.